Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Lori Beer. Lori is the Chief Information Officer of JPMorgan Chase, a leading global financial services firm with assets of $2.6 trillion in operations worldwide. She's been in role for nearly nine and a half years, and she leads a team of 57,000 technologists, employees of the organization, and manages a budget of $15.3 billion. She's been a board member on Vantive, a payment processing company and technology provider that's now part of FIS. She's a past technology executive at WellPoint, which is now part of Elevance Health. Uh, Lori, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. And now for a word from our partner, Quantify, and the company's co-founder and president, Asif Hassan. Asif, what do you see as differentiating factors between those companies that successfully harness the power of AI and those that don't? Sure. So, Peter, in the last 10 years, uh, we've done over 2,500 AI projects across over 350 customers in nine industries. And we see a few common patterns in the ones who have got it right. So the first factor is culture. The most successful organizations foster a culture of curiosity and experimentation. Second is the presence of a champion, someone who's a true believer in the power of AI and is willing to let the team experiment, fail, learn, and evolve. Third, of course, the technology and talent enablement plays a big role. And the last, but definitely not the least, these businesses have thought about the human aspect of the work that they are going to do with AI. And when the confluence of these factors has happened, we have seen magic happen, and these customer relationships have grown bigger and faster than what we would have ever imagined. And now on to the interview. Well, uh, what a what a, a position of consequence you have, and a a lot of people and 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 dollars that you put to the efforts that you were undertaking. I wonder if you could begin with a bit of bit more about your purview as Chief Information Officer of J.P. Morgan Chase. What falls uh, within your within your area of of uh, that, that you that you oversee? Yeah, happy to. First and foremost, um, our technology strategy is very much aligned to our business strategy. So, of course, I feel my my number one job is to make sure we're delivering for our customers, clients, and communities across the globe. Um, and when you think about that, very clearly, we try to ensure that the, the $15.3 billion we invest in technology to really create the products and services we deliver. And that covers a wide range of making sure we move our $10 trillion a day across the globe to delivering the, the leading industry Chase Mobile app, to um, really everything from protecting our customers and clients through cybersecurity. And so we have 57,000 employees in tech uh, that really help support and drive not only cybersecurity, building technology products and services, um, and also delivering those last mile client and customer experiences as well. A lot, a lot of areas of innovation, to say the least. I want to go back to that that figure, 57,000 employees who are on your technology team. How do you govern a team that is that vast? What are some of the secrets to do so effectively? I think the first thing that you have to do is make sure that you have a clearly aligned vision and mission. And we make sure that, um, first and foremost, people understand our business strategy and the sort of the core, core lines of business that we operate how technology enables, supports, and protects uh, those lines of business. And so I think having a clear and compelling vision and strategy um, and how we do that. And so that translates into our st strategy pillars around how we deliver engaging customer client experiences and products and services, 
how we make sure we're modernizing our applications, uh, our infrastructure, and our data. And that's critically important because one of the things our business needs us to do is to deliver at speed, at scale, with a high fidelity of security. And so that modernization work is critical for us to continue to maintain and enable that. There's a huge focus on data and AI and how we think about embedding data and AI in everything we do. And so our strategy around that, and then finally making sure everybody knows it's number one priority that we protect the bank and our customers and clients. Um, so having an aligned vision strategy, how we deliver that, making sure we're setting goals, um, having a leadership team where the line of business CIOs are sitting together with the CIOs that drive uh, product delivery um, and, and managing that and governing that for a global technology leadership team. I think the other part is we have a robust uh, global technology architecture committee, um, which is our heads of engineering and architecture across the firm, making sure we're delivering uh, those standards. And the other thing that I think is really important as part of our strategy is having a really strong strategy around the platforms that we're going to deliver across the firm. So when you think about that 15.3 billion and spend, about 7 billion of that actually goes to building firm-wide platforms that allow, give us incredible scale and incredible leverage. And so I think those are the key dimensions and then continuing to reinforce those messages as you engage with the community, whether they're in our tech centers or we're having an overall global uh, town hall. No, that's really interesting. I want to go back to the point that that's uh, been raised in a couple different ways already, and that is that your your organization is deeply involved in the creation of products and services within the bank itself, and so very customer facing. The contemplation of of customer experience and 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 getting very involved in in the kind of work that would lead to revenue augmentation, not just cost efficiencies, which perhaps is the kind of historical domain of peers mm -hmm. of yours as chief information officers. Talk a bit about the way in which your team partners with the rest of the organization and ultimately engages with customers in order to have the insights to do that effectively, please. Yeah, a lot of, uh, of course, in the, the, the areas where we deliver, deliver products for the firm, we have product agile teams that are set up and customer boards to make sure that we're getting those products are being built with and influenced with um, the, the greatest needs from you know, our end customer client perspective. But when you're building customer client experiences, our businesses are all now operating in agile product teams. Um, and we've continued to mature that. That's a journey. You know, if you think about our consumer businesses, we have a lot of maturity there, but we're actually delivering, even on something like chase.com, 15 releases a week. Now, when you think about 15 releases a week, put that in context of we're doing A-B testing, we're learning what new features, you know, make sense, how we, where we put them in the user interface. And so, you know, it's definitely transformed the way we think about how we deliver technology by leveraging product teams, you know, really enhancing our, our agility and how we measure success through agility, but also thinking about experience and the, the important role that product experience, uh, UX design, and all those pieces come together. And then it's changed the way how we think about releasing, releasing and testing new features, for example, in production with our customer base. 
I also want to raise a topic you you noted a, a few minutes ago, and that is the ongoing process of transformation and modernization that's necessary for any company, but certainly one of your size and scale. I know you've been working on a cloud-based core system project to organize multiple projects into a single platform. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that uh, that project, the progress that's being made, and the benefit you anticipate deriving from it. Yeah, we. Um, it probably is helpful to start with what our overall strategy is. You know, we're the right. most globally systemically important bank in the world. Um, we have incredible regulatory laws, rules, regulations we have to follow across across the globe. And so, as part of our modernization journey, um, when we focus at the infrastructure and the application level, because they really go hand in hand, we've been very much focused on a hybrid multi-cloud strategy. And certainly with our size and scale and investment, we need to be multi-cloud, multi-provider, I should say, multi-provider versus, you know, defining for the specific workload, where are we going to run it and leverage multiple uh, public cloud providers. The hybrid piece um, is important for us, A, is part of our transition, but also long-term. We have, you know, critical infrastructure for the U.S. And so making sure we're very uh, disciplined about what we run and where we run it. Um, and, and that process is incredibly important too. A lot of people focus on their cloud journey around the new development, which is important. You know, we run Chase.com fully on AWS, um, for example. But um, the harder stuff is the applications that have run your business for many years and that you have to modernize. And so while we have been opportunistic at looking at where we run those types of workloads that can you know, scale up and quickly scale down and there's some cost leverage for us, the focus has been a little bit more on innovation. Um, and when you think about that, we come back to not just looking at all of those components, but how do you start thinking about modernization of your core banking platforms? And so this is an example of, you know, we try to, even though we have 57,000 um, technologists and 43,000 engineers, we try to be very disciplined about when we leverage SaaS, when we leverage third-party products, what we need to build, what we need to, um, we build when it's competitively differentiating and we try to be very disciplined. So. When you come back to a core banking platform, it is leveraging both a third party based solution and thinking about how we modernize those components again back to the premise of where do we need to drive speed? We modernize the digital channels first because speed really matters in driving new features and capabilities. Now we're on to some of the harder work, which is really addressing the core of some of our banking platforms. And so as we're releasing you know, new features, um, uh, we're releasing them on the new architecture and we'll be very disciplined over time in terms of how we can drive that modernization in the right modular way uh, versus the historic way of obviously doing a, a big bang sort of migration. And so that's sort of how we started with our cloud journey. We've gotten some great wins in um, particular areas and now we're really talking about the modernization of some of our underlying core banking platforms. That's a great overview. Thank you for that. And good context as well. I want to get into some of the specific areas in which you focused in a, on, on innovation. But before we get to those specifics, I wanted to talk more generally speaking about how you organize for innovation. Um, are, are there specific teams that focus on kind of the art of the possible or look around corners as to what the future might hold and trends that might be relevant 
uh, to your organization? Is it is it more broadly disseminated? How, how yeah. do you think about that sort of testing process, prototyping, developing ideas at scale and so on? Yeah, it's a really important point. And with our size and scale, and of course, being a highly regulated institution, you want to be able to do innovation. You want to be able to do innovation. At, you have to do innovation at scale. And you want to make sure you can do it in a way that you can drive that speed and agility um, of the process of, of innovation. And it sort of starts with um, a couple of things. One is we have key innovation areas that we focus on. Think data, think AI, cloud, et cetera, or even software engineering tools, which is important as we drive productivity and optimization across our incredibly large uh, software engineering work, workforce. Um, and so uh, we focus on these key innovation areas. We're constantly scanning the market. I have an entire team whose responsibility is to always you know, be out there looking at what are the next gen companies, um, early stage. We, we actually host a JP Morgan you know, sort of innovation event where we bring those very early stage companies. We have our experts, um, they do pitches to them. We make decisions. We're going to run a proof of concept. We're going to test them further. We always make those companies better too, because we teach them the importance of scale and security in our business. And then we make a decision and we have a very high success rate. Um, and a lot of that is driven with the due diligence we do around who actually gets invited to those innovation days. But it might, um, what's I think important to note is that any point in time, we have about 300 POCs, proof of concepts going on. So we do this a lot. You know, what are some of the new capabilities? Because we tend think cybersecurity to build a more of a best in class type capability. Some some companies based on size need to take the end to end provider solution. We tend to go with more of a depending on the scenario, but certainly in cybersecurity with a best in class approach. We have actively 350 emerging tech companies in production. And so we are often sort of working with, if you think about going to the cloud, we want to be working with the very latest uh, technology capabilities around security in the cloud. Many of these new companies are being formed and built and only operate in the cloud. And so that's another reason that played into our, our overall strategy. And so those are important pieces. With that, we also have a robust operating model, product operating model around the technology we build for the firm. And so one of the pieces we're working to enhance further, uh, we have more work to do on this ourselves. is thinking about the new product development cycle and how you plug these things in. So if there's a new software engineering tool that we want to evaluate, how do we make sure those proof of concepts are very much embedded into the overall product life cycle? And I think those are some areas that we continue uh, to look at the innovation on the business side. I talked a little bit with our chase.com example, but the same thing happens on our, our commercial side too. And this is a little bit more where we're dipping the toe. We had some great examples that a technology team in payments came up with uh, as they were looking at the data, they understood that, Hey, there's this capability. Our customers may, may, you know, find valuable and they did. And that it started as an idea from the tech team because they're working in product teams so closely with the business that they actually created a new product that's actually generating revenue. So those are the ways that we think about uh, innovation uh, more broadly. And then there's the things that we do um, in our research and development. And our blockchain work started in research and development, but that's got a little bit more scale now. And now, of course, we're working very deeply in quantum computing, AR, VR, 
some of the next iteration of when you think about uh, life in a world of edge computing and 5G and what that uh, starts to look like. And so there are many things like that that would be a little bit more in our R&D and that we partner with the businesses. Every use case we drive, every quantum computing, you know, use case we're driving through, unless it's security, we're driving um, through with a, a business use case. And I think AI is the same way for us. Obviously, there's a ton going on in AI, but that's sort of out of the lab and into reality now. And so, um, although there's things in the lab, we're still thinking about too. But those are the different ways um, that we really try to drive innovation at a, at a complex, large organization like J.P. Morgan Chase. That's, a, again, a great overview. Thank you for that description. And I'd love to delve into several of the topics that you you noted, uh, just highlighting some of the ways in which you're leveraging uh, the technologies, the underlying technologies to the trends that I'll note. Let's begin, as you've already mentioned it a couple of times, with artificial intelligence. You talked about how you are uh, you know, leveraging it at scale, incorporating it into so much of what you're doing. Uh, now, of course, generative AI is, seems to be on, in the minds and on the lips of every, not just technology executive, but yeah. business executive as well. Talk a bit about your own philosophy around artificial intelligence generally, and then perhaps also more specifically how your thinking is evolving around generative AI as well. Yeah, happy to. And this is, of course, not a not an easy short answer, but I'll try to try to keep it brief and summarize. So. We've been doing AI for a long time. You sort of saw this overnight success and sensation with ChatGPT being sort of the largest consumer uh, app, app in terms of growth um, that we've seen. I think the way we think about it first and foremost has been really having a strategy around how do we think about embedding data and analytics in everything we do? How do we wanna have more insight driven decisions? How do we wanna help assist business leaders technologists making decisions faster. And so for us, it fundamentally started with one of our strategies around embedding data and AI in everything we do. I think this forced us first and foremost, um, if think about in our business, you have a lot of quants, you have a lot of models and a lot of things that we've been you know, managing for a long time. So this is not new, new for us. But think about um, the volume of data, over 500 petabytes of data that we have and the amount of new data that we create every day, whether it's in, you would think about our traditional banking channels, but we also own a travel business, we own the infatuation. So like even extended into how you think about a consumer and all the things that they may be interested in, say a personalized offer, et cetera. When you think about the magnitude of the data that we have, um, how do we really think about that? Because we know what fuels AI partially, and we'll get to the generative piece later, but is you know, what really fuels it is the, is the data that you have. Um, and so we really proactively went after a data strategy. We got our business leaders thinking about their data, not just as exhaust from a process, but you know, how you organize your data, how do you classify your data? We have lots of laws rules and regs, so what's now material public, what can be shared across businesses, so who has access, who has entitlement, uh, what is highly confidential, all those things. And so data governance was very, you know, very much strong, as well as how we think about moving to data products. When you think about the data scientists, and the first thing that they generally encounter is wrangling data. And if you want to speed model development, we wanted to go after some of these very important things. And so think about us thinking about with our data products, creating a marketplace of data 
that can be leveraged to build certain models. Now, there may be a nuance to that or a tweak, and that's not going to solve every problem, but at least it's a foundation that takes a huge part of the friction out of the, of the process. So in order to do that, we wanted to get that data to the cloud. And so we really thoughtfully thought about a platform that helps us pipeline our data to the public cloud and maintain all those data governance rules and requirements, defining your catalog, defining many other pieces. The second thing is, how do I create, like the software development cycle and our standardized tool chain we have for our software engineers, how do we really create a model development life cycle? Yeah, we probably learned a lot of lessons of trying to squeeze it into our controls around software development that we sort of stepped back, reinvented our controls, um, really thoughtfully said, how do we build, build an ecosystem that makes it easy for a data scientist and reduce 70% of the time it would take to build a model? And so, but that started on the foundation of data, controls, and, and again, really having an ecosystem. By the way, we don't have to build all the pieces in that ecosystem. There's some very well-known products and capabilities available that we wanna be able to plug into that ecosystem and, and partner. And so that has been the foundation of laying the groundwork on our data, laying the groundwork on the two important strategic firmware platforms that our data scientists will use. Again, common firmware platforms that we're moving to. We're not fully on those platforms yet. And then finally, how do you really govern across the firm the creation of the use cases? And so we started with a use case approach um, and prioritized them. And I was able to say at Investor Day just Monday that we've been able to demonstrate close to a billion dollars of value already. Um, and we upped our target to a billion and a half by the end of this year. So we are really seeing good momentum with this approach. And again, you really want to create the, the environment. So we're even continuously rethinking what's the right organization structure. Our data scientists are embedded in the business and we build libraries that are shared across the firm. And so there's lots of those dimensions you've got to think about too. Now, finally, when we get to, and it's highly integrated with your cloud strategy, it has to be, right? And because again, we're leveraging the public cloud uh, to do a lot of our training, um, et cetera. Then the final piece is um, generative AI. And so we've been working with large language models and found these foundation models for some time. This wasn't a new thing that popped on the scene. In fact, in the um, sanction space and payments, we actually have one of those more narrow domain specific ones in production. And so we've actually thought about how do you get through responsible AI? How do you get through the model governance process? How do you think about that in a very disciplined way? Um, but now we're seeing this incredible speed. Um, and there's definitely, um, we've set up our environment. We were probably one of the first ones to block public access from inside the firm to chat GPT. And there was a reason we did that. We were more worried about that data loss prevention. Do people understand? And we communicated with our employees very proactively and said, this is how we're going to innovate in our controlled environment. And that's what we're doing. And we have over 300 data scientists connected in that environment. We have well-defined use cases with the proper controls um, in risk. Um, and again, it's very tightly aligned to the controls we're building out um, in our cloud strategy. And so uh, we see great opportunity. I think just like everyone else, you know, thinking about uh, the interaction models you can build um, for your employees to get access to information, answer questions, 
uh, summarization. I'm certainly very focused on it in terms of the opportunity to help drive productivity in the software engineering processes, not only as a code recommendation, but also think about for us, secure code is so important. How, do I, how I can have a co-pilot to make sure I'm doing secure code. Um, how can I have test cases or data auto-generated, um, even in our modernization efforts. So it's bigger of focus for us in the software engineering discipline. And we absolutely believe in many of the cases that we look at, that it's really an assist for our employees, that it will give us the leverage. Our backlog of work is significant. Um, and we'll see how this plays out over time. But there's also certainly issues that have to be worked through too. And hallucinations and things like that will get better. I expect that we'll see significant advancements over the next six, six months in the technology. And while we're looking at the large general models, we're also looking at the domain specific ones. Um, and also for us, there's a lot of non-generative AI uh, that's incredibly important to us too. So that's, that's in summary how we're thinking about it. A great overview. Thank you so much for the clarity of your thought process and making that so accessible to, to this conversation. I, um, I wanted to ask, you mentioned there at the conclusion that you are investigating a number of different models. Uh, it sounds like your your own ecosystem, even for generative AI, is not specific uh, to you know just ChatGPT or just Bard mm -hmm. or et cetera, but you're rather taking an approach of exploring you know, different models for different uses, different value, and so on. Yeah. Um, are, are you developing any conclusions as yet as to the wisdom of focus versus uh, uh, you know proliferation of 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 or, or or use of a broader set of of models? Yeah, I think for us is we continue to learn and we will continue to learn. I think it's early for everybody, right? I think that. Um, but we definitely see early indications of examples that um, very much fit sort of these broad general models and lots of examples. And you have to balance it. You know, I spend a lot of time talking about infrastructure optimization and how we've been able to modernize infrastructure and keep our run the bank uh, costs relatively flat while we've doubled storage and compute. Um, we have to think about the commercial model side of this too. We do this, the reason we're able to say that we've seen an ROI increase on our AI work that we're doing is, and this is really important, that you have to have discipline. It can't just be a free-for-all. Some of these things will be heavy, intensive, compute, et cetera. And we just need to make sure that the work we're doing is creating the commensurate value, um, the discipline we have around that in this space in particular. So. There's a lot of AI use cases we get quickly from experimentation to shutting them down. And that'll be no different here. And so I think there's still a lot to think about um, when you apply which two and how does that, what is the cost of doing that? And, and can you scale it by the way? I think some of these things we see great potential, but then can, and, and if I'm trying to integrate it into a digital workflow, What's the speed I need to achieve that, the compute, et cetera? And then what's the, the commensurate value that I'm going to get from that? And so those are the pieces that I think there's still a lot more to understand here. I want to return to the topic of blockchain, which you, you mentioned uh, a short moment ago as an area of focus as well. You know, it seemed like, oh, maybe five years ago, blockchain was among the hottest of topics among, no matter the industry, among your peers as chief information officers. And across a lot of them, it has really receded to a great extent, less so, yeah. of course, in financial services, given some of the applications. 
Uh, you noted you've you developed a unit focused on blockchain. And so certainly an area it's, it, it would seem that you're quite optimistic about in terms of the value uh, potentially derived from it. What do you see as the primary value the bank derives from blockchain? And what what uh, what are some of the, the, the near-term use cases you see developing? Yeah, I think what's really important, we, again, we had R&D around this. We, we built on the Ethereum code. We actually open-sourced code. And I think one of the important things around this is since we've been inventors in this space very early on, we learned a lot about its capabilities. I think the biggest challenge people have had in this space is trying to apply it, you know, you know, broadly where it's not a fit for purpose solution. And so when you sort of go back, we really think about it. There are some real challenges that it helps us fix. And some of the innovations that we did um, and enhanced tied to that. So for example, when um, we actually did form a business unit called Onyx, um, there is actually active projects that we have going on. We created a network called Link where we're pulling value-added services because we knew the value of making this work is to create that network of banks that could share information. So we never targeted it to be, we're doing a huge transformation in our underlying core payments processing. We move $10 trillion a day. That was never the intent of this technology. But when you think about, you know, all the processes that we have to comply to around payments, whether it's sanctions, AML, um, et cetera, fraud, et cetera. There's so many opportunities um, where you have to connect to other banks to understand, it, you know, information uh, in, in that KYC process to be able to know that you can go ahead. So manual processes that would sit in operations where they're phoning another bank, et cetera, that you could deliver through a secure blockchain. And so, you know, we built the network and, you know, building value added services uh, on top of that. And that's just one example where we've seen some good tr traction around the ability to share information. Some of the innovations that we worked on were speed and another innovation we worked on was privacy. So these are permission networks, very big distinction, permission network in, in, in the example that I'm giving. But if I if we wanted to share information, how could only you and I be able to actually understand the, uh, what that information was? So how do we protect it? How do you bring the privacy aspects in? And that was critically important. And one of the things at the time, now this has been a few, few years, we didn't see evolving. And so that's just an example of using it, working with some real use cases um, and seeing value, which translated us to thinking about JPM uh, coin uh, on the wholesale side and just ways when you think about the complexity of last mile clearing and having to go through central banks and are there different ways um, to think about that or intraday settlement um, type capabilities and some interesting innovation where we compared, we, we use blockchain and quantum is demonstrating QKD or quantum key distribution uh, it, with our blockchain network and our ability uh, to prove out QKD uh, in our lab as well. And so anyway, I think back to blockchain, I think there's, we definitely see uh, value. We definitely see some very specific use cases where um, you can have, you know, have that shared information in a protected way. Um, and I think some of the challenges, depending on the use case you have, I think, uh, you know, there's just a lot of examples where blockchain was shiny and people tried to apply distributed ledger technology. And it, again, it just wasn't a good fit for purpose. But many of the end-to-end -end solutions we deliver 
blockchain is a part of the solution, not the only solution. And so that's really um, where we've seen some value in the space. You've, you've noted a couple of times now also quantum computing and certainly a topic for, for many of, of uh, uh, one of curiosity, one of worry. Uh, it, 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 yeah. it continues to be one that's sort of a little ways out, but it seems like it's coming at us uh, much more quickly. Uh, talk a bit about the way in which you're, you're, you're contemplating use of quantum computing and, and yeah. uh, means of investigating it. So there's certainly the, the ways we're thinking about um, things like, um, we, by the way, when we think about quantum, it's an offensive strategy and a defensive strategy. The defensive strategy, the number one priority focus right now, to be super clear, is making sure we have quantum safe encryption and making sure that we, we bring crypto agility into our modernization strategy of, of our software. And so we've been partnering across the ecosystem with NIST and others. And as the algorithms get set, we want to be able to start working on, we don't have to wait for, you know, quantum supremacy to get here because we have a massive code base. And so we really want to think about the modernization, getting to crypto agility, how we really leverage this as the opportunity um, to start making the changes and the modernization work that we would need to do uh, to do that so that we can do it over a proper multi-year timeframe. Um, and so that's one, that's the defense piece and that's understanding that. And so that's one piece of it. Um, QKD, we'll see, uh, continue to see the value over time and how that plays, but we wanted to do some early experimentation, more from understanding it. You know, we've got some published research, research on that if anyone's interested. Um, and then finally, the um, working really with the hardware providers and multiple hardware providers, because it'll be interesting to see how this plays out on some real business use cases Think about optimization. We definitely are seeing things where we're seeing, you know, lots of improvement in the capabilities coming out of quantum reduction and error rates, but also ability to execute that, you know, as you advance the algorithmic side of this, ability to advance things in parallel. So the error rates become less uh, relevant. Lots, lot, again, lots of different innovation happening in this space. Um, and so we're, we're very excited, you know, what we probably will see first is um, very specialized or specific type algorithms that may start demonstrating some quantum advantage, you know, and time will tell what the right time horizon is of that. But that's um, been exciting just to see things we can't do with classical compute, that you start seeing the possibility of, of being able to do that. But again, we think of it just like we think about how we're getting access to the cloud or certain AI capabilities is creating an ecosystem that would allow us to access different types of quantum computers for a very specific and focused, um, you know, algorithm or use case. And that's likely how it'll start. And we'll see how it evolves from there. But this is a very big investment and research focus for us. And, uh, you know, something we regularly even talk to our operating committee around, you know, we sort of are tracking, you know, what are, what are our beliefs versus what the industry is saying. And regardless of timing, because yes, it is a bit out there, what are the things we need to start thinking about differently today? So we're well positioned um, for those things, in particular on the defense side. You mentioned earlier, Lori, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality as areas in which you're investing as well. Can you talk a bit about uh, the applications you foresee uh, within the bank? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, it's a little bit different given the nature of our businesses, but we're, we're certainly thinking about, already thinking about platform, you know, hopefully that comes through. Like, you know, when you try to do things at our scale, one of the first things we want, want to do is think about the power of the platform so that we can embed controls and things like that uh, into the platform. And so really starting with um, thinking around that as we see these capabilities evolve, use cases, you know, may vary. It may start with learning, like, how can I simulate for someone that's, you know, not uh, on a trading floor every day, what that experience looks like, you know, how I can bring those, how can I simulate um, those things across the globe, especially since we have a, a global workforce, but trading floors in defined buildings, but that's just one example, or just experiencing what something may, may look like. Um, and so think about this powerful branch network we now have in 49 states. Um, what are some things that I can, you know, sort of simulate commercial real estate or, you know, just different kinds of, uh, of things that, that you could think differently about how I experience, how I engage. You know, we even modeled um, with our partners, we're building a brand new headquarters. You know, what's that experience like walking into the new lobby as we're finishing, you know, sort of design touches? And is that the right effect we want? So there's, you know, it's early for use cases when you think about, you know, sort of our world, but you could simulate a consumer experience, especially with that connected commerce world we're in. You could simulate learning um, all kinds of things. So it's early. It's a little different for us than uh, some of the, but even having a digital twin and, and really even thinking about um, what that looks like and how we simulate and model, I think there's a whole whole great opportunity here to explore. Lori, you've, uh, you have given back to universities in Ohio and to national organizations like Girls Who Code to increase access to STEM education, especially among girls and young women. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about those passion projects of yours and progress yeah. you're seeing there. Yeah, you know, it started with, um, you know, the university that ended up being the University of Cincinnati that all three of my children went to. And my daughter actually got a full time or full, she got a full ride scholarship. And so it started with just, you know, as we thought about the need and I was even, you know, talking to the university and of course, all the work I do in technology, the need to expand, um, you know, the availability of talent, there's a, an incredible amount of talent, but just, you know, girls understanding STEM careers and the incredible great opportunity that that would create. We started with just basically donating back the scholarship my daughter had earned and creating a, a the Beer Family Scholarship that sponsors, you know, and we help when we can. My daughter ended up in tech. Um, we help when we can um, mentor uh the girls as well, but just help them think about what careers could be and create that opportunity. We then um, expanded that to the university, University of Dayton that my husband and I went to, um, and a lot of the Beer family had gone to, so we created a, a scholarship there in honor of my father-in-law, who was a big Flyers fan uh, in honor of his 80th birthday. And that was very focused on another dimension, which was, you know, uh, individuals that had a low income, couldn't afford to go to a private Catholic university, um, you know, so expanding access in many cases, first time I'm going to college. And so also in the STEM fields. 
And so it's just very rewarding uh, to a lot of times, you know, during my career, I would not be in this role if, if many people didn't take a chance on me or help me grow and develop. And this is one way that, you know, we're able to do that and also support something I'm incredibly passionate about, which is how do we just create access um, and, you know, the world is going that many of these things are more focused on skills. But this is one way I can continue to help investing in the next generation of talent, diverse talent. Yeah, important topics to say the least. And, and kudos to you for getting so involved in that. Um, yeah. I also wanted to ask you about technology trends. We certainly have discussed a number of those, AI, generative AI more specifically, uh, your, your uh, consequential responses with regard to blockchain and quantum and AR and VR. Any other kinds of trends as you look to the future that particularly excite you, Lori? You know, I think those are keeping us very busy. I think we're going to see AI become very transformational in terms of you know, how you engage with your customers, clients, it really, uh, whether you're talking generative AI or just broadly, how you distribute, how you get work done, how you distribute resources. Um, and so that's one, of course, that's taking a lot of focus. So outside of that, I think other trends we're certainly watching is um, what's happening. And, you know, right now there's a lot of focus around your data centers, um, cloud, but then you're going to start pushing out into the edge and, and things like that as well. And so there's a lot of, um, again, I think a lot of opportunity uh, just to think about how all these pieces come together, uh, you know, for the future. And uh, but I think we touch the ones that are most line of sight right now. Excellent. I, I wanted to ask you in closing, Lori. Um some of the differences, difference makers rather, uh, along the way as you've ascended through your career, some of the secrets to your success. You, you mentioned a moment ago quite modestly that uh, a number of people took a chance on you throughout your career to allow you to uh, achieve the great heights that you have. I, I wonder if you can reflect further upon some of those uh, aspects that have, have really been kind of game changers for you throughout your career, perhaps tuned towards advice for others who might wish to emulate your path. You know, look, I think in for us in technology, it's just really important to, to very much stay focused on what's the business outcome we're trying to achieve and how can we really think strategically about how we can affect uh, experiences for customers, clients, products and services that we offer. And I've always been really wired from that perspective. And I think the future leaders in technology, when you just think about how user interfaces and how computers and and individuals interact, um, it's just gonna be so important that everyone thinks about that and maintains that. I think you have to be a continuous learner. You know, I didn't learn about blockchain and quantum computing and those, although I did take a lot of physics um, back when I was in um, college, but you have to, especially in the space, technology is changing so rapidly. Um, and it's not just about learning technology, but learning the discipline you're in. Like for me, it's finance or just watching broader trends overall, because finance really touches everything. Um, so continue being a continuous learner, listening. I think you get so much insight from listening to and putting yourself in the position of your business leaders. You know, fortunately, I've run a PL, I've run large operations. So I sort of been on the other side. But if you've not been on the other side and just been in tech, you know, I think it's so important just to listen to what are the problems they're trying to solve, um, because we can give so much better advice versus just, you know, sitting in that role. I've never been the order taker on the other side of tech. I've always tried to shape a solution. You have to be really good at managing risk. 
you know, you think about our, my, the business I operate and the scale, you know, we have to manage risk goal every day. And so you have to get comfortable operating within your risk tolerance. So, but be clear about what is your risk tolerance and then making sure you're operating within that risk tolerance and communicating that. Um, and having the courage to make the hard decisions and the long-term decisions. And, you know, it, tech is really hard, especially in large companies. And I think you get so much credibility when you're transparent about what's gone well, what's not gone well, bets you made, why they changed, and all of that. And I just, and the final thing I would say is, in many cases, our jobs are ones of influence. And so how do you just really make sure that, that you understand and hone in on those skills and ability to influence and collaborate um, to get to a good outcome. We talk a lot about with my leadership team, we have really good healthy debate, but I'd rather the debate be on the table and we work through it and we collaborate. Um, and I lean in when I need to lean in than to have it be somewhere else. And I think creating that culture, driving collaboration, focusing on influence and all those other things I mentioned, those are probably the things that I've sort of anchored my career on as I, I've moved into different roles. And I think sometimes it's great to, I never set out in my career and said I wanted to be a CIO, but it's sort of become clear to me that's where I could have the greatest impact. So I think the most important thing is only we can define what success looks like. You never quite know what your path is, um, but always think about how you're building your skills where you can get to um, creating that impact that you wanna have. Well, Lori, what, what what an interesting reflection and great advice for anyone who who is watching or listening to this, and, and indeed a great conversation across a number of consequential topics from somebody who has a consequential role at a consequential <laughs> company. So, thank you so much for for a great and deeply insightful conversation. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Peter. Great to speak with you as well.